Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2024. This is Main Education Matters, a show that we talk about all things education-related, and especially in terms of policy and stuff from the Education Cultural Affairs Committee and the Maine Department of Education. Uh, very happy to be here for another year. Thank you very much for downloading, listening, and subscribing. Sorry it's been a few weeks uh, since our last episode. Things have been busy, um, and we're just getting kind of new and, and figuring out how to do this. I'm Matt Record, your intrepid host for all these seasons. Today's going to be a quick uh, further up um further delve into a recap of what happened in the first part of the 131st uh, session, uh, legislative session, 2023, as we ramp up and get ready for 2024. Um, The public hearings are set to begin January 9th, so those are coming right up, and so I want to make sure you get the full-on recap of what happened and this last year. So let's let's dive right into things. Uh, as always, we appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for us, we'd appreciate it. This episode is going to focus again on what happened using the uh, annual legislative update documentation from Drummond Woodsum, a very helpful document that is um, really lays out kind of what, not only what happened, but what the laws basically mean. Today, we're going to talk about a couple areas, labor, employment, and retirement and school operations and finance. So let's get into some of these uh, bills that will have some relatively significant impact on Maine education as um, that's what we're here to talk about. So I'm not going to dive deep into the labor, unemployment, and retirement stuff because I don't fully understand all of it, but I do know there are a few bills that um, that that were passed that administrators, teachers, boards, and other folks in the education realm kind of need to pay attention to, especially when it comes to both budgets, but also just in terms of negotiations and other things. So the first that I want to bring up is LD258. It went into effect, goes into effect January 1st, 2025. It's an act making unified appropriations and allocations from the general fund and other funds for the expenditures of state government and changing certain provisions of the law. This does not sound interesting whatsoever to me. This is one of those bills like, why would I even pay attention to this? However, here's what this does. It it provides funds for a variety of laws. So there's one of those all-encompassing bills, but importantly, and according to the Drummond Woodson documentation, it, quote, also establishes a paid family medical leave benefit, which employees will be able to access beginning on May 1st, 2026. Current language of the law indicates the state will create a fund for the benefits to be paid by a payroll tax that both employers and employees contribute to beginning January 1st, 2025. Now, the benefit is expected to be about 12 paid weeks of leave. There will be a cap on weekly benefits and it's expected that all workers, including part-time, seasonal, and temporary workers, will be eligible for the benefit. So for those of you who are thinking about like ed techs and other employee, all employees in a school district will then be eligible and have this 12 access for uh, 12 paid weeks of leave. They're going to pay into that through payroll taxes. So 
which I'm, I'm not saying this is a good or a bad thing. I actually think it's quite quite a good thing. But I also know that for staffing purposes, as staffing continues to and remains being a challenge for literally everyone out there, this is going to be another area that we'll, people who are staffing and whatnot will have to contend with and create policy and make sure that we are covering and make sure that we are honoring and supporting while also making sure that we have enough people to do the jobs that need to be done and the things that need to be taken care of. All right. So paid family medical leave, that's starting. People start paying into that January 1st next year, 2025. Another one in this area, LD 1588, an act to provide public sector labor unions reasonable access to information regarding employers, employees, excuse me. This one's interesting. Uh, the law says that public school units must provide certain contact information for public employees to the employee's bargaining unit. For newly hired employees, the employer must provide the bargaining, bargaining agent with the following information within 30 calendar days of the individual's acceptance of an offer of employment or within 30 calendar days of data. It must include Individual's name, job title, workplace location, home address, work phone number, home phone, and personal cell phone number, work email address, personal email address if known, and date of hire. All this information must be shared with the local bargaining unit. If the bargaining agent requests information for other public employees in the bargaining unit, the same information listed above must be supplied within 30 calendar days of the request. However, such requests cannot be made more than quarterly. So this, what this law, why this matters is that it expands the rights of the public sector labor units to access information about individuals that they represent. Yes, but also it provides a new mechanism for units to enforce this right through contractual grievance processes. Sure, but it also assumes that everyone does it assume that everyone under the under the the realm is, is is represented? So what about those people who are coming into the district who don't want their information shared to the bargaining unit? Do they have the right to say, "I don't want this information shared with a local bargaining unit"? And I think that's a question that I still have on this particular bill that I'm waiting to see the extent to which um, that. The, the, an individual's right to be able to tend to not have their data, their information shared with that bargaining unit if they don't want it to be. Or do, doesn't matter. The district has to share it out anyway. So I think there's going to be some interesting, uh, interesting dynamics that are going to happen with that particular bill as we go along because, great, share the information with the local bargaining unit unless, but what if the person doesn't want their information shared that way? Um, for whatever reason they might have. All right. The other one in this area is uh, LD 1756, an act to protect employees' uh, freedom of speech. Okay. This law provides that an employer or employee's agent may not discharge, discipline, or otherwise penalize or threaten action against an employee for declining to participate in an employer-sponsored meeting that communicates the employer's opinion about religious or political matters or for declining to receive or listen to a communication from an employer that communicates the employer's opinion about religious or political matters, or for making good faith report that the employer has violated these provisions. All right, why does this matter? Because everything is political. Everything these days is political. 
And so the, the law prohibits an employer from retaliating against an employee if the employee chooses to not listen to political or religious speech that is unrelated to the employee's job duties. Now, what if an individual is like, well, I don't think, I don't agree with things like having to um, integrate Wabanaki studies or having to integrate um, African-American studies or talking about the genocide or the Holocaust. I don't agree with those things in our curriculum. I don't agree that we, we need to be doing that or, or weaving those things in. I don't, I don't agree with those things. And that's, that's political. So I don't have to do that. And you, as my employer, can't force me to do those things. Here's where that line is drawn. So school units can conduct staff, staff meetings and trainings to communicate important information about employees' job responsibilities and how to perform their responsibilities in a lawful matter. If it is law, if, it's un, if it is already statute, if it's already established law, we as school districts or people in school districts and educators and whatnot and administrators can still communicate those things regardless of whether or not people agree with them or not. It is stated law. It is statutory. And if we're required to share it, if we're required to discuss it, if we're required to, uh, if it's under the rules, for example, we are required to do it. So for example, LD, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll just skip ahead to LD394 because LD394 was a big one that impacted a lot of discussion in the 131st legislative. That was a resolve uh, regarding the duties of uh, school counselors and school social workers, major substantive rule. This was the one where it codified some different things about school counselors and a lot of people, especially in the area of parents' rights for education and that whole side got really upset about the rules that school counselors would have in terms of confidentiality and in, in making sure that, you know, a student's rights to their privacy and confidentiality um, were, if not equal, if not more so uh, strong as, as parental rights. So a student's right to be able to have a confidential relationship with their counselor um, was upheld. And that's in statutory law right now. That's, that's, it, it is it is that if a, if a student wants to maintain keep things with a school counselor's discussions about their gender, their identity, uh, their sexuality, or or many things like that, they are entitled to have the right to privacy. Students have that, and counselors protect the students' rights over the parents' rights. They want to involve the parents, absolutely, but they have to protect the students. Okay. A school district can, should, and must communicate that information to their constituents, to their staff and whatnot. Now, if a person in that district were to say, I don't agree with this, I disagree with what this is saying, I disagree with this whole particular law, and you can't force me to participate in this meeting where you're going to discuss this, you can't force me to read this, you can't force... The school district can say, yeah, we can, because this is statutory law. This is statute. This is under, this is, we're not, this, we're not, this is not our opinion that we're pushing, that we're pushing, we're pushing statute. We're pushing what are regulations that we must follow. That's kind of the difference here. And it's important to know that difference for this particular 
uh, bill as it comes to uh, freedom of speech. Now, now an employer, if they're saying, hey, we believe that this particular party should be the way that we vote, then and we're going to have a meeting that talks about that, then you know what, you can't do that. You, or you can't require a staff member to participate and you can't retaliate against that staff member if they decide to not participate in that. And this is where, as administrators, as educators, as school boards, et cetera, the line has to be where the law is. The line has to be where the regulations are, and we stick to those. In 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 those of us who have roles of like skirting the lines of the law and best practices of terms of things like you know, well, you know, I might not believe in interdisciplinary education. Okay, that's that's fine. You don't have to believe in interdisciplinary education. You don't have to believe in the the world of integration, the, in the world of you know making you know getting out of these siloed areas of content. And you know discussing things and teaching in ways where we're not separating things out based on their contents because it's it's easier for us to manage, but in a way it makes more sense for the kids to learn it. You might not agree with that idea. Okay, well we can discuss that, and that's that's one of those things that's not necessarily in statute. And I, I can't, you know, as a, a curriculum leader or whatnot, I can't say, hey, you know, well I'm going to retaliate against you because I wouldn't do that anyway. But we still can't do that. But if we're just sharing out, like, no, here are the, the the main learning results, which are our standards for academic excellence and academic achievement, and they require, and they say, have in the language interdisciplinary instruction, and here's some interdisciplinary connections in the main, soul, in the main science standards that have connections to Wabanaki studies, African-American studies, and other content areas. That's not our opinion. That's what's in the documentation. And by the way, those things are there now. And if you go and look at the new, the updated social studies standards and or the, uh, sorry, the science standards that are coming, they're there. It's, uh, that language is in there. All right. So that's, that's kind of, that, that's free speech. Um, let's move on to some other areas of school operations and finance. I already brought up LD394. That was a really big one that had a lot of conversation, um, which I thought, again, was kind of silly. My, me personally, a lot of the conversation was silly because it was like your, 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 all that bill was about was making sure that the current language was in line with prior bills that had been passed. So it was just like updating law and making sure that it's in line with current previous bills have been passed and best practices. And people were like, "Well, I don't agree with these best practices." And well, hang on a second. Who are you? What? What? Just because you have a religious or fundamental belief against something, but you're going up against literal experts who who have dedicated their lives to these things, but you read a blog post anyway, that might seem snarky. But I'm in a snarky kind of mood. Hey, it's 2024, folks. Um, let's talk about LD. 232, an act to amend the laws governing bonding restrictions for school administrative units. I know, bonding units. Okay. <sighs> but basically, this is, an, this, is, this is one that kind of, you know, went through the five hole and slipped past the goalie here. But what this bill does, it ensures the meeting 55, the 55% 55 rule of funding. 
it kind of enshrines that. And the law permits longer term repayments. It uh, spreading out through the year. It, it it really helps to make sure that the fifty five percent funding structure is met. So that's pretty darn important, if you ask me. Considering that for so many years the bill had been passed and was never met, and now the legislature is doing what they can to make sure that it is met. LD 405, an act regarding false public alarms or reports and aggravated false public alarms or reports. There have been a lot of these this school year, uh, many false bomb threats that happened across the uh, state so far. The new crime makes it a felony to knowingly give false information to emergency services personnel, including law enforcement officers, firefighters, dispatchers, or government agents that results in the evacuation, shutdown, or lockdown of a building, school, public square, or park, place place of assembly, or public transportation facility. It's a felony. That's a big deal. So be aware that for all this stuff going on, if it's false and you get caught, it's now going to be it's now it will be a felony. Uh, this is an interesting one. LD four hundred seventy seven, a resolve directing the DOE Maine School Safety Center to convene a stakeholder group to develop best practices for lockdown drills and allowing parents to opt out of lockdown drills for their children. The law directs the department to amend it, and that's the area I want to fo- I focus on, directs the department to amend its rule, Chapter 125, Basic Approval Standards, to allow parents to opt out of active shooter drills for their own children. The report hasn't come out yet that I haven't seen, that I've seen, I haven't seen it yet, but it will require schools to readjust and adjust their emergency plans. And this is a one that I have real mixed feelings on. Because I know there's a lot of evidence out there that is talking about the detrimental impact that lockdowns and emergency drills can have on the psyche and the emotional state of the students. Let alone parent being being a parent and an educator, I see all sides of it, and I, I, it's 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 terrifying in every in every realm in every way. I hate going through the trainings. I hate going through having to have these conversations. I hate it makes me sick to my stomach to have to continually have to bring this topic up to talk about shootings and bomb threats. But it's also a reality that we're in. Yeah, it makes me sick to my stomach and it makes me it makes me feel gross thinking about. And it's a reality that we're in. Both of those things can be true. And they are true. So what do we do? What 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 is it that we how do we how do we manage this now to be like, all right, we understand that the best practices and there might be things that, that that are impacting our kiddos, but we need to practice these things because the threats are real. So I, I'm very I I have very mixed feelings about this one because I I, I worry about the opt out optics more or less and what how that will complicate and challenge many school districts in actually implementing their emergency plans with fidelity. I, I, I wonder how that will happen and how that will play out. Uh, let's talk about LD 535. 
an act regarding consent for gender-affirming hormone therapy for certain minors. The minor must be at least 16 years old, must have received a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. The minor must have asked the parent to consent, uh, asked, must have asked the parent to consent. The parent has refused and, there, and it therefore is informed. There is, <clears throat> the minor must have asked the parent to consent and the parent has refused and there is informed written consent. Okay. If the student requires about hormone therapy, the school nursing staff should inform the student of this law and the importance of having the discussion with their parent. That's what's the most important for people to do here. It ensures that minors can receive the treatment they need. They, they may need even in circumstances where there's disagreement with the minor's needs. The minors can do that, can get this done if it's needed. School nurses are not, to our knowledge, providing hormone therapy to the students. That's not happening. Okay. So where, where schools need to draw the line is inform about the law and then push the conversation with, with parents as much as possible. Support the students always first. And if it's a situation where the home or the, the, the connections at home are not supportive at all, cross that bridge and work with administrators and work with the team of lawyers and healthcare practitioners to make sure that the students are getting what they best need. That's always job number one. All right, LD 892, an act to improve school safety and preparedness through, compre through comprehensive health and safety and emergency management planning. This is another one of those lockdown drills, uh, sorry, I'm pumping in the microphone, uh, requires that a comprehensive health safety emergency management plan approved by the school board meet nationally recognized practices and be developed collaboratively with appropriate stakeholders as opposed to specific enumerated professionals such as law enforcement or medical personnel. It also requires that any steering committee formed by the school board as part of the plan include a school employee designated by that employee's school as having oversight regarding school safety. The law attempts to ensure that emergency plans developed by school boards comport with national best practices and expands the breadth of who can participate in the plan's development. So, more on this whole emergency safety stuff. I don't know of any district that's just flying by the seat of their pants doing this. Everyone's trying their best. I've heard a lot of things like using the Alice training, for example. That's something that's been done a lot and used in a lot of different places. I don't think anyone's just kind of saying, we're just going to figure it out as we go in order to make the, make the best decision. We No, there, there's, there are plans and they're looking at best practice. People are going to conferences and going to workshops and having X people brought in. And so what this is ensuring is that that continues. Uh, final one I want to mention for today is LD1002. That's a keep hitting the mic with my book. LD1002, because I'm professional, folks. That's what I do. I'm professional at this job. This is not a job. This is a hobby. This is my hobby. I want you all to be aware this is a hobby that I'm doing. This is how sad my life is that my hobby is talking to myself about legislation. LD1002 was resolved directing the DOE to study the school day. So... 
This is a wild, wide open bill that the group will consider resolve requires the DOE to convene a working group to study the school day. And the group will consider statewide, national, international approaches to the school day, relevant instructional requirements, educator planning and preparation time, lunch periods, recess periods, electives, after school extended day programs, and school day start times. Just a few things. Let me go through that list again if this group was re was required to consider. State, national, international approaches to the school day, relevant instructional requirements, educator planning and prep time, lunch periods, recess periods, electives, after school and extended day programs, and school day start times. The resolve directs the study group to issue a report no later than February 1st, 2024, including its findings and recommendations. I can tell you this meeting met, this group met three, maybe four times by design. To discuss statewide, national, international approaches to the school day, relevant instructional requirements, educator planning and preparation time, lunch periods, basis periods, electives, after school extended programs and school day start times. Huge, huge questions. And I think what you'll see in the report will reflect that frustration. Like, okay, we've, this group met only a few times to answer some truly enormous questions. So this is a, this is a study group to look at this. There've been a lot of bills that have come up over the last year and a few years and whatnot that have asked for things like this, like, you know, a 30 minute lunch period or those those bills that require or are for asking for like new new standards like health and PE being a graduation requirement, um, which is weird because it kind because of, it is but it isn't. It's required for students to have access to and to take, but not necessarily to pass. No, no standards to like it doesn't require no standards being met. For example. Um, Personal finance. That's always been one that keeps coming up, even though people don't realize that. I mean, they realize that personal finance is like a literal thread in the social studies standards. So it is technically already required because if we're saying that our students are meeting social studies standards, they need to be meeting the economics and personal finance standards in the social studies. So that's already there and we already should be doing it. Um, so to say that we're requiring personal finance is one of those like, well, we already do, or at least we should be. Maybe people just don't, they, they hear a sound bite somewhere. They should be teaching more home ec or they're doing personal finance. Like, I never learned that stuff in school. Well, maybe they're learning it now because we realize that. And maybe the standards have changed because the standards have changed. And personal finance is actually in main learning results law now. You can go and look it up. It's there. And not just at a high school level, K-12. So this bill or this this report is going to come out and is being designed is being built by the DOE and you know I have hopes of what it's going to do but uh, but it's just so wide it's just so all encompassing that it's hard to really get a handle on what they're really going to be report to the to the legislative uh, committee with anything like any real like 
hard, solid recommendations that we should be doing this. And even if they do come with recommendations, nothing's going to happen this year because what's going to have to happen is it's going to have to go... Uh, I mean, the, the, it's going to have to... If they're going to make any kind of changes, then they're going to make these recommendations to the, to the Ed Committee, and the Ed Committee is going to need to come up with and create a bill that then gets written and then gone through the whole process. I don't really see that happening, not in this school year. And with the election happening this particular calendar year now, yep, we're in 2024, folks, now the election's going to be this particular fall. With that happening, I'm not sure what kind of bill, big changes they're going to try to make between now and then, and whether or not they can under main statutory rules, whether or not they're allowed to even make these new bills. Now, one of the little tricks that the main legislatures, legislators do every year in the first session is they throw up a few bill titles in there that have no, it's concept draft, and they just kind of keep them empty. And then they get carried over into the next session. And then when something like a report or when some information or something new comes up, they can then use that particular bill title and redraft it and then get the day in here and get it heard. And not have to go through the cloture process, not have to go through that whole process. Because it's harder to get a new bill heard in the second session than it is in the first. And that's done by design to make sure that if there are like several hundred bills that get uh, that get named, they get approved, for example, that they don't just get forgotten about. That every bill gets heard. It's done by design, and that's that's a that's that that's intentional. So I don't know what's going to happen with this. And that's the, but this is one of those areas that. Every educator, administrator, school board member, or policy person, et cetera, really should be paying attention to the stuff that's coming out of the one th- LD1002, that report, because there could be significant challenges to the established systems and potential establishes this idea of, of local control. Because if, for example, the state comes out, let's say, for a Every district must require a 30-minute lunch period for all students. The ripple effect that's going to have is enormous, right? And right now, it's up to local districts to decide how to do all that. And they follow as best as they can practice. But any any educator will tell you who's done any of this stuff, the things that drive the things that drive more than everything in education is not necessarily best practices. It's schedules for, you know, um, especially in the state of Maine, it's make, it's it's athletic schedules. It's it's lunch time and things everyone gets that's fed. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of this. I'm saying these are the realities: athletics, uh, lunchtime, and local CTE centers, because the regional calendars must be. All of those districts that feed into a regional CTE center, uh, they must be within five days of each other. So there has to be that level of um, syncing up for those districts into that regional CTE center, which means that any kind of real flexibility that can happen in a school day is automatically limited based on that constraint right there. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I'm saying that's a real constraint. 
that impacts that and can significantly impact flexibility and innovation in school day calendars and schedules. Like one of the conversations could be, well, what about a four day work, what four day school week? What if we were to go to something like that? You know, extend a day, maybe maybe make some options there. What, how could we play with that? That all of a sudden throws you out of whack with the CTE law. So there are real already established other laws and challenges that will get in the way that are barriers for doing those other innovations in school schedules that are outside of the control of most districts to the point where they're just like, well, we can't do anything about that, so let's just keep going with what we already always have. But this bill could begin whittling away at some, there's some, there's, there are some fears from some people, couldn't begin whittling away at the rights of the, the local control. That's part of what this bill could potentially do long term. I know I said it was the last one, but here's a little bonus uh, bill for you um, that I wasn't uh, uh, that I want to make sure that I did throw in because it's important to me and to my life and to my beliefs and to everything. LD 707, an act to update the Maine Human Rights Act with respect to gender identity. What this did is the law removes gender identity or expression from the definition of sexual orientation under the Maine Human Rights Act. This matters because change to the law confirms that the Maine Human Rights Act recognizes gender identity and expression as its own category that is distinct from sexual orientation because gender identity and sexual orientation are different things. They are different and they should be treated as differently, understood as differently. I'm sorry. They and I know that that might be hard for some people to understand, but they are they're different. So what this what this does means what this does mean is that there are policies that need to be updated. Things like AC, ACAA, ACAAR, ACAB, ACAAA, uh, and there are all those there are sample policies that are out there. But I know a lot of districts have been working on those, updating those policies, but. Uh, that went into effect October 25th, 2023. So if those policies aren't updated yet to make sure that their distinctions are there between gender identity and sexual orientation, they need to be there. And as a reminder to go back to one of the very first bills that we discussed today, an act to protect employee freedom of speech. Well, what if I disagree with this? What if I disagree with the difference between, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's in law. The law says they're distinct our policies need to make sure that they're in line with the law. We cannot write policy, cannot enact policy that is in violation of statute. Can't do it, folks. That's part of the rules of being on a school board member. And when a school board member gets elected and they go to their town office, for example, or wherever they might go, and they swear an oath, they do not swear an oath of fealty to their own particular ideologies or beliefs. They do not swear an oath or, or fealty to a, um, a, a religious text or a philosophy. They swear to uphold the Constitution of Maine and of the United States of America and the laws under, under, underneath those. That's what they swear to uphold and to enact policy that's in line with those things. School boards, you don't enact legislation. You don't write legislation. You don't. What you do is you help your people who work in your district help make sense of how to put those laws into practice. 
You got to follow the law. And I know that there are some people who be like, well, what about civil disobedience? That's an entirely different discussion of which, generally speaking, I'm for because I also understand and I'm going to quote a one of my favorite quotes the last few years that I've that I've heard is from a comedian, improviser, and um, incredibly just just brilliant person. His name is Brennan Lee Mulligan, and in a show that he runs called Dimension Twenty, one of the episodes in that show that he runs, he a character that he was portraying said that laws are threats made by the dominant socioeconomic group of a given nation. It's just the threat of violence. But laws are veiled threats. This is, there's, there, there's, there's some truth to that. Not all, not 100%, because all, everything is all perspective. But who's making the laws, who's writing the laws, and who, and the laws are intended to keep whom in power or what? And to what extent are the laws really open and being written for all or for everybody? So there, there are times where I'm like, yeah, let's question them. Let's question those laws and make sure that those laws being written are open and for everybody, 100%. And that's an important role that we, as a citizen-driven government, and it's an essential thing that we play to make sure that we're not just looking out for the laws that make us work for us, but that work for others as well. So the so just because it's written in law, if the law is inherently wrong, there might be a place and that there's a time to go against that. However, if you also have sworn an oath to uphold the law, and that's your job, well, that's kind of what you have to do. It's a fine line. And there is not one scenario that works for every, there's not, there's not one answer that works for every single time. So basically what I'm saying is I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. That's what I'm basically coming around to. Uh, so that's a quick recap of our episode two of, of the, of what's happening or what happened in the first session of the 131st legislative session and, and the main legislature in January, 2024, the, Second session will start up. There will be public hearings that are beginning January the 9th and January 11th of 2024. So we'll be back to do some pub, uh, previews of those soon. And as always, I, I hope you found some inf this information helpful in some way. I hope you found it useful. And um, if nothing else, well, then you spent... 40 minutes listening to my sultry voice. I just called myself sultry. Or my, my vo not, me, not me, no. I would never call me sultry, but my voice. The silky, the silky sounds of main education matters. All right. I've, I've had enough. I, I can't do any more of this. I appreciate you all, as always, for taking the time, listening to us, and following along with all of our normal hijinks and things that we do here. We'll be back soon with another episode. Take care and have a happy new year. Bye.